if I had just dumped a bunch of rosemary onto their plates or onto their pasta, they would probably have balked at it. But when they're involved in the process and when it's their own curiosity that's leading, they're so much more willing to try and so much more willing to be proud of what comes out in the process. Welcome back to the Whole Moms Podcast. We're here to give you tools, resources, and evidence-based information so you can make the best decisions for yourself and your family. Whether you're trying to conceive or are navigating life with a toddler or a teenager, we've got you covered. I'm Stephanie Grinke, registered dietitian and program director for Whole Mamas Club. I'm also the co-creator of Whole Mamas Pregnancy Program, where I teach mamas how to navigate the endless decisions around pregnancy. And my co-host is Dr. Ilana Romel, pediatric naturopathic doctor and creator of Med School for Moms, an online resource where she teaches moms how to safely be a doctor mom. Today, I'm excited to bring Misha Collins from the hit TV show Supernatural and his wife Vicky on the show to talk about their new book, The Adventurous Eaters Club. They discuss how grounding family meals are for kids, struggles many parents face when trying to introduce healthy food, and they provide practical tips to reduce mealtime battles. They'll share how to welcome kids into the kitchen by inviting them to become adventurous cooks and lifelong food lovers. This is a really fun episode, and I know you'll feel inspired to get creative in the kitchen with your littles in your life. And speaking of vegetables, before we begin, I'd like to thank our podcast partner, Vital Farms, for bringing you this week's episode. Do you remember your parents trying to convince you to eat plain, steamed, overcooked vegetables as a kid? I know I did, and it's no wonder I resisted them. We're hardwired to enjoy salty, fatty foods, and ghee, especially with a touch of Himalayan salt, is a fantastic way to help your kids learn to love their veggies. Heck, delicious fats like pasture-raised butter and ghee, like what Vital Farms offers, is even great for convincing that veggie-rejecting partner in your life to take a bite and to like it. If you're not sure what ghee is, it's butter that's cooked down to remove the water and milk solids. What's left is a creamy, lactose and casein-free versatile buttery spread that's perfect for high heat cooking. Pasture-raised ghee isn't just delicious on vegetables. Since it has a high smoke point, it's great for various cooking needs. You can swap ghee for other cooking oils in your kitchen and enjoy the health-promoting benefits that you won't find in other fats, such as CLA and butyrate and fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K. By swapping healthy fats with pasture-raised butter or ghee for other highly processed vegetable oils like soy and canola, you'll help reduce inflammation throughout your body, which we now know includes your mental health. I'm always looking for shortcuts in the kitchen, so when I saw that Vital Farms has a squeezable ghee, I was super excited to try it. You know the story, babies on your hip or your toddlers hanging onto your legs as you're trying to get dinner on the table as quick as you can when you realize you have to open a can or a lid. You take a moment to put baby down and grab a spoon, hopefully you have a clean one, and use both your hands to open a jar while hurrying to finish the meal before someone breaks down crying because they're starving. But what if you had a healthy fat option as convenient as a salt shaker near your oven so you can literally flip the top open and squeeze with one hand? You shouldn't have to sacrifice quality for convenience in the kitchen, and that's why Vital Farms is the first ever ghee in a squeeze bottle. The complex goodness of ghee is even more convenient and ready to dispense, no spoon required. I feel like Vital Farms really gets what new moms need, and this is why I'm so excited about their new squeezable ghee products. And if you're focusing on cleaning up your diet in this new year, give their ghee a shot and see if it helps you eat more veggies. Look for Vital Farms ghee in a squeeze bottle exclusively at Whole Foods Market in original and Himalayan pink salt, and visit vitalfarms.com forward slash ghee. That's vitalfarms.com forward slash G-H-E-E 
for a chance to win a year's supply of ghee for free. All right, now on to the show. All right, welcome to the show, Misha and Vicky. Now, I'm sure you may have heard about Misha from the TV show Supernatural. And Vicky, you are a powerhouse. You have a PhD in U.S. history and a background in journalism. So you guys have so much to share. And I can't wait to hop into your new book, The Adventurous Eaters Club, which has easily become one of my favorite kids' cookbooks. But before we begin, we want to hear how you guys take care of yourself as busy parents. So can you share one thing that you have done today or one thing that you're planning on doing today to nourish yourself? I can share briefly. Actually, today is like a very self-nourishing morning for me because my I don't actually have to be at work until 4.30 in the afternoon today. So that gives me a spacious morning to we both we meditated together. I went to the gym. I think a good self-care thing that I did was after 40 minutes of my one hour CrossFit workout, I said, you know what? I'm going home, guys. I'm tired. <laughs> and I, I left the workout early. But one other really good self-care thing that we uh, decided to do this morning was we let our seven-year-old sleep in, even though that meant rushing her to get out the door. But it was a much more peaceful morning lunch uh, school lunch preparation with her still in bed. So that was, I would say, uh, a self-care act as well. That's a lot. You asked for one, and I think I gave you four. So I apologize for that. You can cut You can cut three of those out. <laughs> I love that you're taking such good care of yourself. Um, and I would add that I am going to go to a mace exercise class, which involves uh, wielding an ancient weapon. And it's a class that really makes me laugh and um, sweat both. So. I've never heard of that before. What did you call it? <laughs> it's um, called Steel Mace. Okay. Huh. I'm going to have to <laughs> Google like one that. one of those things that you swing around on a, on a chain that sure. has spikes on it that you whack the... the but there's know. no chain. I know, but that's, that's what it's based on. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, Vicki, we have never had that answer before. So you win as the most unique <laughs> nourish yourself. Um, what I did, I'm going to kind of share something random. I have a 30 minute drive to my kid's school in the morning with him. And so we have a lot of interesting conversations. Actually, on one of the drives, I gave him your cookbook and I had him pick out a recipe uh, that we wanted to make together. But this morning on the drive to school, we talked about Christmas and the presents. And I thought for sure he was going to start talking about what he wanted. But he had the conversation focused on what he wanted to give to his cousins who are coming to visit next week and how he's so excited to get her flowers. And he was thinking about what color flowers were, would be her favorite and how he wanted to wrap them up. And so just hearing him think about the holidays is like, what can I give versus what am I going to receive? Just warm my heart as a mom. Oh, that's very sweet. So sweet. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, before we dig into your book, because I want to ask you just so many questions about how we can make healthy eating realistic as parents, I want to start by hearing about your story, Misha. I know a lot of people may see you as a celebrity. You have tons of money. Like, how can you possibly relate to the struggles with financial security and and we're on food or how you can create healthy meals? But I recently read an article that you posted in the New York Times, and the title of the episode was, Even Without a Home, We Always Had a Family Meal. And it was such a moving article, and it really helped me see how you can relate to so many families and so many different situations regarding food security and creating these healthy family meals. So can you share about your childhood experiences and uh, how food was like for you growing up? 
Well, I can share that, you know, we, we have resources now. We, you know, we have the money to pay for a babysitter. We don't have to worry about the cost of groceries, and that's incredible luxury. But even with the resources that we have, a lot of times we'll find like, oh, we don't feel like we have time to cook a meal or sit down for a meal with the kids. And and it can feel stressful putting together family mealtime. And I have this I do have this touchstone of my childhood, which is that my mother, even when we had no money, even when we were getting our groceries from by lining up at a soup kitchen where they'd hand out free bags of groceries, even when we didn't have a stove to cook on and we were homeless at times, she always managed to find the time and the food to sit us down and have a meal. And that is serves as a constant reminder to me that because as a child, that was incredibly important to me. It was really grounding in a, in a childhood that was otherwise often very ungrounded. There was this thing that I felt like I could count on and that made me feel safe and loved. And so when I feel like I don't have the resources, whether it's time or energy to put together a family meal, I remind myself, wait a minute, your your mother was making sure that you all sat, you know, you and your brother sat down for family dinner, even when we were homeless. So you can make this work. And still, sometimes I fail. But, but at least I have that reminder. Yeah. And I think it brings home the point that a lot of the moms think that family mealtimes have to be so elaborate and have these fancy recipes or fancy ingredients. But what you remember is that security and that like, sense of comfort and that coziness of being around the table or no table, just having that family meal together. And I think that's so important to understand that family meals can be a place of feeling grounded. They don't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I think we're, we're also uh, faced with so many Instagram images yeah. of pretty foods and, and families that look perfect. And um, there's really something to letting it be imperfect and sometimes really messy as it often is in our family. But. Yeah. Messy <laughs> or simple. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can sit down for a family meal of oatmeal. And it can be it can be incredibly comforting food. It doesn't have to be something that's elaborate. But if it's you know, if it's served with patience and love, kids feel it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. I think it's a a great place to start as we dig into some of the specifics with picky eating and how we can make this work as busy parents. And speaking of being busy, I mean, without a doubt, creating a book is a labor intensive passion project. So especially as something as comprehensive as what you guys created with the Adventurous Eaters Club. So where did this idea come from? I know you talked about family meals being such an important part of your growing up. But what led you to go from creating TV shows to creating a cookbook? You want to go with it? Well, oh, I think this is better. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very much a collaboration between the two of us. We had the experience of being blindsided by child rearing. We thought the process was going to be much easier and much more extemporaneous, spontaneous, uh, fun and unencumbered than it actually was. We thought our children would cooperate with us every step of the way. We had all of these very unrealistic expectations of how, how raising kids would unfold. And one of those things was that we thought that the kids would just naturally, automatically, happily eat whatever it was that we were eating Um, and that there would be no contention. And we found that mealtime ended up 
being really a source of anxiety and stress for us early on. Um, our kids weren't readily instantly eating whatever we served. They were our, our son West uh, would throw thing throw food at us, and it felt like an act of war. And we responded in kind with anger and punishment. And then he would be hungry. And we, when he got hungry, he would be absolutely uncontrollable. And it just sort of felt like it was spiraling out of control. And then we had this moment of kismet where I took him to the grocery store, really because it was easier to carry the groceries hanging from the hooks on the stroller than it was to carry them by hand on the sidewalk back. And I was like, I'll bring the stroller. He might as well come. And then when I got back from the grocery store, noticed that there were all of these groceries in the bags that I hadn't put into the shopping cart. And he evidently had mm -hmm. just been throwing stuff in the cart. And I must have been on my phone while we were checking out because I didn't notice at all. And then got home and I was like, wait, what is this? What do I do with a Jerusalem artichoke? And West, who was just a toddler at the time, said, I'll show you. And I was like, oh, okay, will you, will you really show me how to prepare Jerusalem artichoke? And he got out a rolling pin and he smashed them with a rolling pin. And then he had me fry them in a pan and then covered them with peanut butter, which is, by the way, a very unconventional preparation for <laughs> Jerusalem artichokes. And but he devoured them. And he had heretofore been this incredibly picky eater who wasn't eating anything but like plain pasta with butter. And now he was eating Jerusalem artichokes and loving them and being clearly proud of what he had made, that sort of set off a light bulb for us. And we realized, wait a minute, if we let the kids be a part of the process and give them some ownership over the process of cooking, they're much more invested, they're much more curious, they're much more willing to try things. And that sort of opened a crack for us. And then Vicky um, peered her nerdy nose through the crack and started doing all kinds of research about, you know, best practices in terms of getting kids to engage in healthy whole food eating. And it turns out that there's actually a tremendous amount of peer reviewed literature out there about how to get kids to eat healthy food and also how to make mealtime harmonious and how to make it a bonding time for the family. And there are really, truly simple practices that can help bring you and your family down that road. And we kind of started using our, our family as a laboratory and trying these things out and finding that they work and then sharing that with other families in our kids' schools and seeing that they were having breakthroughs. And then that, so that was sort of the beginning of coalescing a cookbook and, um, and feeling like, wow, we actually found some stuff that really legitimately seems to be working for us. It's not fail safe. Uh, we still have uh, tears at dinner time occasionally, but it's so much better than it was before. And, and it's it, more, um, it's just more fun for us and very funny. To watch what the kids make sometimes. <laughs> True, um, but it's is, right. You know. Right, but it's also not all about you know having the kids conduct experiments right. in the kitchen. There's a lot of really simple practices that that make the whole process more harmonious um, and healthy. I mean, if you think about it, don't you think that like we now have meal time actually feels like yeah. it flows in a way that I could not have conceived of yeah. five years ago. Yeah, and maybe that's you know partly that we've given up. Partly that the kids have gotten older, but but it's also partly that this stuff that we're that we're implementing has been effective. You know, it's interesting, and I feel like so many of us can relate to this. Is you kind of go on autopilot when it comes to family meals for a while. Like it may be working, it may not be working at all, but you just kind of feel like this is how it is, and then a moment pops up where 
you're going grocery shopping and you find all these ingredients in the cart and your little one wants to make a fun recipe or whatever it is for that family that you're like, oh, things could be different and we could have a more harmonious family meal together. So I'm curious, Vicki, what kind of things were you seeing? Like what were some of the cracks that you wanted to fix when it came to family meals with your family? Well, I guess the pattern that we fell into was um, basically squeezing those organic fruit packs into the kids' mouths constantly. And we were just so focused on getting calories into them instead of the joy of getting to know food and um, having it be a moment of connection and getting them exposed to different fruits and vegetables and this sort of, yeah, the, the, the joy of that process and experience. So there are a couple of things I think like, um, you know, practically speaking, they were, you, you, you talk about autopilot, right? One of the autopilot things that I think we were doing as parents and a lot of other parents that we know we've watched do is saying things like my kid doesn't eat that. Mm -hmm. My, my, my kid won't touch uh, broccoli. But the the truth is it often takes children somewhere between five and 15 exposures to a new food before they're, they feel like it's safe to eat. And those exposures can be as simple as putting a florette of broccoli on the plate, allowing them to smell it, see it, feel the texture. Where it is their- a hat? Feel it as feel the texture with your fingers, <laughs> wear it, wear it as a hat or a brooch. But like if, if they can actually have tactile experiences with that food over time, they will. And then they watch their parents eating it. They grow to trust it and feel like it's safe. And, and this is something that's ingrained in us biologically. Like we have to the kids need to make sure food is safe and then they start eating it. But, but we are rushed and we're impatient and we see them not eat broccoli the first time or make a grimace when they try it the first time. And then we just give up and we say, my kid doesn't eat broccoli. So that's one sort of autopilot thing that we we subverted and we started to, you know, try like, all right, we'll just put it on the plate over and over again until, oh, sure enough, they start eating. Yeah, I think another piece of that is parental frustration. Like I remember being like, this is healthy. You should be eating this, that kind of thing and trying to coerce them into eating something. And that is so not fun as a parent. Um, And one of the things we learned is that that approach, trying to get get kids to eat something is not helpful at all for developing a lifelong, happy and healthy relationship with food or good connection. Right. As it turns out, if you, if you say to a child, if you eat your broccoli, we'll give you ice cream. Mm -hmm. It turns out that that actually in a child's brain as it's developing, uh, gets the child to prefer ice cream even more and to think broccoli is even grosser than they (laughs) did before. So that is not a a very productive thing, but it's something that we all do. We get involved in these negotiations with kids instead of allowing, and and Vicki was mentioning this a moment ago, like we were squeezing fruit packs into their mouths or, um, you know, or feeding them crackers, you know, all day long because we didn't want them to get hungry. But actually hunger is also an incredibly useful tool for children because when they're hungry, they're willing to try new things. So we fell into the pattern, the automatic pattern of sort of snacking our children out of being curious about any new foods because frankly, they weren't hungry. So we would sit down for dinner and they would be 
not interested in trying something new because their stomach wasn't sending them any signals that it was time to eat uh, because we had just fed them fruit packs and crackers. So, and muffins. And, true. We, they had a much more varied diet, <laughs> fruit packs, <laughs> crackers, and muffins. Yeah, no, those points are spot on. And I think and just to add another one to it, it's our perception of what kids will eat and kind of labeling things as kids' foods versus adult foods. And in the book, you explain this concept of that kids eat what they're taught to eat and how cultures all around the world demonstrate that kids can be taught to eat a wide range of foods. So those examples in the book were really powerful. So would you be able to kind of explain maybe one or two of the cultures and just how we tend to approach food in the U.S. of like, well, the kids meal has the chicken tenders and the pizza and the cheeseburger and that's what kids eat versus how other cultures throughout the world see it. Well, for example, in France, uh, teachers, pediatricians, parents are all really on board with teaching children to savor their food. And they consider it as important as learning to read or learning math and put a lot of effort into that training process. And yeah, that's sort of an incredible... For us, was a, a real surprise. They call I it think. food training, right? Uh, taste training, taste training, yeah. taste training. Yes. Yeah, they, right. It, and and in in French public schools, they sit children down to elaborate meals where they will feed them everything from you know, fresh vegetables to foie gras, yeah. and it's considered a part of their education. Whereas in the United States, I mean, I remember working in the cafeteria at my school. And we opened up a package one day from the walk-in refrigerator of grade E beef. Like it was literally, the ch- it was, it must have been like, I don't know, should we send this package to the dog food plant or to the public oh, school? No. It was like the lowest, it's the cheapest, yeah. the worst food, but it's also the blandest, the most processed. And there's, there's a very little thought in our education system that goes into teaching people about teaching kids about healthy food and also opening their palates to new foods. It's just not a part of our culture. And that's reinforced when we go to restaurants by what parents are presented with. They're given an adult menu and they're given a kid's menu. That's an American phenomenon. It's an American phenomenon that developed for some bizarre reason during prohibition because restaurants lost revenue because they were no longer selling alcohol. So they said, well, maybe we can bring families in and make up for that by introducing the kids menu. So that brief window in American history when alcohol was prohibited uh, gave birth to the kids menu, which stayed as as a feature of American restaurants from the late 1920s until now. And as time went on, it evolved to be this incredibly processed, incredibly bland kids menu where it really is. It's chicken tenders, it's uh, a cheeseburger, it's pizza, it's pasta, it's french fries. Um, If it's a very progressive restaurant, you might have carrot sticks. It's a very limited and it's very processed and it's frankly very unhealthy food that the kids are presented with. And then parents and kids are both being trained, this is what children eat. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and without offering those foods, I mean, sometimes I'm so surprised what my kids will eat, too. I'll be eating something. They're like, let me try that. And I'm like, I would have never thought to give you sardines. I would have never thought to give you sauerkraut because we're trained that like kids will just naturally not like that food instead of giving them the chance and not showing them a reaction that 
means we're super happy about it or super sad about it or frustrated. Just kind of having a neutral reaction is something we talk about a lot on our show. But I what, what I love about your book is it's not pushing or persuading kids to eat something if they don't want to eat it. It's about welcoming them into the kitchen with you and inviting them to be adventurous cooks. And I love this because it takes a lot of the pressure off of parents to have these tight reins on food and make it a battlefield, which, like we mentioned, it takes the joy out of mealtime completely. Hey, Mama, Stephanie here. Are you overwhelmed with all the information out there regarding pregnancy and prenatal health? We get it. So I want to take a minute to share about our Whole Mama's Pregnancy Program. Our program includes over 20 videos discussing topics from nutrition to exercise, mental health, sleep, conversations to have with your partner as you approach birth, and so much more. Each video has suggested reading, action steps, and handouts to help you dive deeper into the topic and apply what you've learned. Our weekly pregnancy emails guide you through the program each week of your pregnancy. They're the only weekly service that focuses on the nutrients you and your growing baby need and provide simple recipes using that unique nutrient. You also get a short checklist of things to do each week to help you prepare for baby and take care of yourself. We want to help you spend more time enjoying your pregnancy and less time searching for answers. Want answers and support to your burning pregnancy-related questions immediately from the comfort of your own home? Then you'll love our safe, non-judgmental community within the pregnancy program. It's my favorite corner of the internet, and many of our members agree. To find out more, visit WholeMamasClub.com and click on Join Programs. I'm kind of curious, you know, when you decided to change how meals were in your household, what was that process like? I mean, was there a lot of battles when, because we have some families where maybe their kids have always grown up with natural whole foods, and then we have families who are starting this new adventure. So like, what words of advice do you have for them? What are some things that you found that did and didn't work for you? Well, I guess one thing I noticed is there were a few things we talked to the kids about, like, uh, for example, their role versus our role. Um, And our role as parents is to choose what food comes in the house and generally what's served for dinner. And the kids get to choose if they eat anything they're served, how much they could eat nothing if they want to. And that was really once we got clear on that and communicated to our kids about that, it was really fun because whenever I overstepped, my son would say, oh my gosh, you're not allowed to force me to eat anything. <laughs> I saw that, you know, and um, that was fun. Yeah. And as you're, as, as we were branching into that, um, because we were, uh, you know, we were going from coercing our kids and also feeding them the bland beige foods that we knew that they were going to eat as as we transitioned to introducing them to whole healthy foods we we used um bridge foods which is uh for example we could make a pizza but we could put on the pizza foods that were new for them to Mm. try so if they hadn't had sardines before we could make a pizza and then on half of it we could put some sardines um, and we found that it's most effective if you give children something that is familiar on their plate mm-hmm. along with something that is new that they're being introduced to. Because it really isn't a fair expectation to simply serve the, your children a bowl of cold sardines with a sprig of parsley on top mm-hmm. and expect them to eat it out of the gate. But if you put a sardine next to a plate of pasta and they have the chance to experiment with it in small quantities, it's a much safer, easier way for them to be ingratiated to a new food. I totally agree with what you're saying, though. It's it's having 
realistic expectations, too, regarding introducing new foods. They're probably not going to chow down on the sardines or the anchovies or the kale that you're showing to them. But you can you can offer that that food and let them explore with it. And you can find really creative ways to incorporate that food into the recipes, like some of the ones that you have in the book, like you do sushi with kale in it, or you help kids understand where food comes from by taking them to the grocery store with you and making butter, which was the recipe that my kid really wanted to try. So you have this recipe in the book where you take heavy cream and you put it in a mason jar and you jump and you shake it up and you really put that energy into it and you create this food. And I think involving kids in the process. So that it makes butter. Basically, you're shaking the heavy cream until it becomes butter or you can shake it. We shake we shook one of them to whipping cream, like not all the way to butter and then the other one to butter, but in- involving them in the process. So it's not as scary. So it's a, a combination of letting them touch, feel, taste, put the food on their head as a hat and seeing where it comes from. So it's a new experience. And I love that. Uh, another another thing that we have found to be very effective is when they're a part of the process, we can make we can give invitations to them in the kitchen. Yeah. So when we're making butter and they love making butter, then at the end we say, now, which spices mm-hmm. would you like to add to the butter? So the butter serves as the bridge food. Butter is a fairly familiar food to most kids, but a lot of spices are things that they haven't tried yet. So they can open the spice drawer and they can unscrew the tops and they can give the spice is a sniff and they can think, um, you know what, I would like to try a little bit of rosemary on Mm. this one. And that might be their first time really tasting rosemary. And if I had just dumped a bunch of rosemary onto their plates or onto their pasta, they would probably have balked at it. But when they're involved in the process and when it's their own curiosity that's leading, they're so much more willing to try and so much more willing to be proud of what comes out in the process. And that sometimes goes to places that I wouldn't, I, I have to bite my tongue. We had our, our neighbor over, Miles, who is a, a kid who really doesn't eat salad. And I invited Miles and our son, West to make salad. We were having a potluck dinner and they threw everything green in the refrigerator into a bowl. And then they mashed it with uh, a dressing that they had concocted that was uh, very bitter and uh, not salty enough. And then they went out into the yard and picked a bunch of lavender, which I find to be a very overpowering flavor. And then they mashed that with their hands into the salad. And they used a potato masher. They were using a potato (laughs) masher. Um, And then Miles inquired, do you cook salad? And I very gently said, not usually. You know, and then and then we all sat down for the potluck and the kids all devoured this salad. The grownups really didn't have the palate for it. (laughs) (laughs) It was like this overpowering lavender mash. But um, but I think that really exemplifies like when you when you give them license to experiment, they all that they want to continue that experiment all the way up through eating. So that won't happen every time. Doesn't happen every time. And sometimes they 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 you know they turn their nose up at what they make. And sometimes in, in the process of writing this cookbook, we we have one recipe in, in the cookbook, which is mix and match chicken. And it's uh-huh. also designed to introduce kids to new flavors. And so it's basically a very simple fried chicken, but the coating is different flavors. And 
the, our kids were like, what, what we asked, what, you know, we had, we had two coatings. One was paprika. One was parsley. parsley. Yeah, one was paprika. One was parsley. And then we said, what should we do for the next one? And uh, our daughter said, how about cinnamon? And I thought, oh, God, that's not a great idea. But I said, OK, great. Let's try it. <laughs> and everyone loves the cinnamon fried chicken the best. It's actually huh. really delicious. And so it actually has been some occasionally, you know, expanding for our own palates as well, allowing the, ki- the kids to uh, take the reins. Oh, that's so fun. I love how you just let them play, right? And don't make them wrong or don't tell them ahead of time, like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. You're like, okay, let's do it because you never know what you're going to end up with. It's so important that they feel like they have some control since they don't have control of so many other things in their life. Yes. And we also often have to bite our tongues or be like, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. right." And there there are times also when we are in too much of a hurry to allow them to make a catastrophic mess in the kitchen. So a lot of times when it's, you know, their opportunity to really experiment is times when we have more space and time and we know that we have an extra half hour to clean up afterwards because it is going to get messy. So it's not, we're not suggesting that every meal be something that is child led. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of the recipes in our, in the adventurous eaters club are recipes that the kids can participate in, in some way, even if it means they've just been set to the task of grating the cheese, there's something that they can do in each meal preparation. Yeah. And I love that you lay that out. You actually say, this is what your kids can help with. Like this is a kid's task for the recipe. Cause sometimes we, we may have a hard time. We don't know if they can help or how they can help, but you lay that clearly out in the recipes. And I think you, I think I love where you're taking us, which is the time factor because, okay, maybe we are excited about getting kids to try new recipes. We love the tips that you talked about with letting them be involved and make the food and choose the spices. But how in a you know realistic day-to-day, we're running to work, we have a limited time to make dinner, we're doing it all over again the next day. Like, How do we involve kids in this process if we're busy parents? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest with you, I actually think that, you know, like, like I said, I mean, if, you, if we say to the kids, hey, would you like to make a cake and let them make up the recipe and do the entire thing from scratch? That's going to eat up a lot of your day in in getting batter off the ceiling. Yeah. But if I'm making um, egg and cheese uh, breakfast muffins, which is one of the recipes in the book, and I set Mason to grating the cheese for that, and I set West to making the bread circles with a glass, it actually buys me some time to finish making the breakfast and to get their lunches ready because they're occupied and they're not attacking each other. So. The hop and shake butter, uh, which is making butter in a mason jar, is something that will actually keep them occupied for five to ten minutes. And they um, they're happy and they're engaged. And it really doesn't take any extra time. I mean, the only time that it takes me is pouring, you know, pouring the cream into the mason jar and screwing on the lid and making sure it's on all the way. It's a mistake I have made before. (laughs) Make sure the lid's on all the way. Uh, um, but then they're set to that task and they're engaged and everything seems to flow more smoothly. So there are ways, I think, to incorporate kids into the cooking process that doesn't feel like the yeah. wheels are coming off the bus and you're adding additional labor. And most of the recipes in the book are pretty quick, like 20 to 30 minutes to make um, fairly simple 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and I think also too, it's, it's practice. So the first time you make that recipe with the cheesy eggs and the toast is going to take a longer time because they've never done it before. So they're going to have questions about all the steps in, in the recipe. But once they do it once or twice, then you can, they kind of know the rhythm and it takes much less time. So I agree with that. And I also, you know, something we do in our family is when my kids are going to help with creating food, it's usually in on like the weekend. So we have our morning breakfast where we have like a slower time where we can make that longer recipe or it's at night, you know, when I'm making dinner, I have them sit up on the counter with me and we do a quick 30 minute recipe. Like you said, I know a lot of the recipes in your book are 30 minutes. So I think it's just, yeah, finding where there is that extra space in your day because you don't want it to be stressful where you're rushing to get this recipe done. You're maybe yelling at them about creating it. That's not a peaceful environment (laughs) either. So yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, it's not, I think what you're saying is that it's not going to be every single meal you're creating these recipes with your kids. It's just getting them into the kitchen with you when it makes sense for your family. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, and, and I think it's important to note that the Adventurous Eaters Club is a cookbook, but it's also a field guide to creating a health, healthy, happy dynamic around mealtime for your family. And so, yes, those those recipes serve as examples of how to incorporate that. But we have lots and lots of tips about, you know, bridge foods and about not coercing your children and about setting guidelines for what the children's responsibilities at mealtimes are, what the grown-ups' responsibilities at mealtimes are, and all of it works together to hopefully create a better dynamic around mealtime for your family. Yeah, yeah, you share your family food guidelines and a couple of things that have really worked for your family, and then you you offer to the listener or the the reader of your book to create their own family food guidelines. So you, you're looking at what the research says, you're looking at the practices that you've used that have worked in your family, and then you're encouraging them to figure out what blend is going to work for them. So let's, I'm just curious, you know, you have so many unique creative recipes and I know they're so unique because your kids helped you make them. Uh, for example, you have like a salad popsicle and things that you probably wouldn't have thought of, but they thought were a good idea and it worked for them. So what are three of your favorite recipes from the book or maybe three recipes that you have raving reviews about? Uh, the salad popsicles make me laugh. Yeah. Um, because that that was truly Mason's idea. And our first version of that was basically throwing big chunks of veggies into water and freezing them. And Mason <laughs> actually ate that weirdly, but we improved them. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of remarkable. If you just add, I mean, if it's frozen and it's in the, you know, a popsicle mold and it's in the form of a popsicle, uh, the ch- children will be like, that's delicious. I love popsicles. <laughs> I'll eat that. All of the neighborhood children were overeating these salad popsicles that had chunks of you know cucumber and oh cauliflower in them. And they all were snowed by by the format um, into thinking that this was a delicious dessert. That was actually salad popsicles is a, a really good example of a recipe that we love because, you know, as we fine tuned it and took the chunks of cauliflower out, it became something that is sweet and refreshing, but also full of whole fresh foods that the kids and the neighbors, they all love. Like they, this, they run to the freezer and they grab the salad popsicles and it was kid led. Like the kids yeah. came up with that idea. And so it's something that we really, I think that's probably a favorite when we gave Mason, we, we have a game that we play occasionally, which is let's make a breakfast that no one has ever made before. <laughs> and 
Mason, having uh, fresh off the high of the success of her salad popsicles, said, how about breakfast popsicles? And I said, well, that's a great idea. We have orange juice. And she said, and eggs and bacon. And my face just sort of dropped. It was like, I don't know how this is going to go, my friend. So we put eggs and bacon and orange juice and toast in the blender and then froze it. And the kids devoured them as if they were absolutely delicious treats. And I literally, I was the kid in the equation where I was like, and then spitting it into the sink, <laughs> taking a bite and spitting it into the sink. Um, and uh, so <laughs> they're not all, they're, they're not all screaming successes from an adult standpoint, but there are, um, what about our other recipes that we love in the cookbook? Uh, I like the half rainbow slaw. It's a very simple salad and um, kids get control of it um, because each vegetable is separated into a stripe of the rainbow. And so it's, it's grated, so it's grated beets, it's grated uh, cabbage, it's grated apple, it's grated carrot, and it's all arranged in a, in a rainbow um, configuration. And it's very beautiful. And it's also um, something that the kids seem to relish. And kale. We obviously love kale. Yeah, but that's not a recipe. It's just right, a right. cornerstone <laughs> of our cookbook. <laughs> True. Well, this is so fun. I mean, I, I get a lot of kids' cookbooks, and yours is my favorite. It's my standout cookbook, and I'm really excited to share this with families in our community, and I'm going to be gifting it to some of my friends as well because I just love the idea of bringing mealtime back to our busy lifestyle and having kids help and not having these food battles that so many of us can relate to. But outside of the book being really incredible, what I think you're doing is you're giving 100% of the profits to charities that provide access to healthy food and the arts. So can you talk a little bit about why you made the decision to do this and who you're giving the profits to? I think the decision partly came out of Misha's history um, with food insecurity and just our awareness that there are many families now that are still facing food insecurity and um, and feeling really passionate about healthy food being something that should be a right for all children rather than a privilege. And um, so we're really excited to be able to support um, the Edible Schoolyard, which is an incredible organization, as well as the Garden School Foundation, which um, basically helps children at Title I schools in L.A. Um, garden and learn about recipes and, uh, you know, start uh, lifelong relationships with healthy food in that way. There are and, a lot of uh, places in the United States where families do not have access to grocery stores, which is something that is kind of hard to fathom for most of us. But there are places where, you know, you have working parents who don't have a car and who don't have the time to take a bus to go buy groceries. And so they go to the nearest place where they can get food. And that's often a convenience store or a liquor store. And there you are simply not going to have access to fresh vegetables. You're not going to have fresh whole foods. You're going to be feeding kids highly processed junk foods, which is lead, you know, leading to a pandemic of obesity, diabetes in the United States. And it's absolutely tragic. And 
So these organizations are doing things like giving, bringing, you know, taking over vacant lots in inner cities and turning them into gardens where kids can come and till the soil and actually pick fresh vegetables out of the ground and eat them. Vicky went, uh, you know, down to uh, look at what they were doing down there. And some of these kids had never seen kale before and they were eating kale salad for the first time. And that may be establishing a relationship for them that lasts for the rest of their lives. And it's really critical. And we wrote this book not because we wanted to get rich, although getting rich sounds great, but we, we wrote this book because we felt like it could help make families happier and help make children healthier. And so donating the profits from the book to causes that, you know, to organizations that advance those causes feels like, I guess for us, it felt like a, a moral imperative. Yeah, I think it's beautiful that you're doing it. And I think also just sharing who these organizations are is, is really important, spreading the message so that we can also donate to them as we can, in addition to having the proceeds from your book. So thank you so much for, for doing that. And I know you guys actually physically go and do some work with these charities and have that in-person connection to support what they're doing. So thank you so much for that. Um, so if we are curious, which I'm sure we are by now, to get your book, where would we find it? At any independent bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Um, we also have a website, theadventurouseatersclub.com, which uh, has the book, I think, unless we're sold yes, out, does. we should have the book, <laughs> and also some kids' cooking supplies and all the profits from that also go to the organizations we talked about. Awesome. All right. And I want to just finish up with one last question. So if you guys could create a billboard and just scream Mm -hmm. something to families that you want them to know about raising adventurous eaters and bringing mealtime back to the table, what would you say? What's your word of advice for parents? Well, I would say, believe it or not, healthy whole foods can lead to stronger family bonds and harmonious, happy mealtimes. And you can do it in a way that is joyful as a parent and joyful for the kids. It doesn't have to be this austere, painful thing. It can be a celebration of food. And um, yeah, I mean, for us, it was of such I mean, I know that this is not going to fit on a billboard, but for us, <laughs> it felt like such an epiphany to discover that we no longer had to fight with our children to have healthy whole food be the cornerstone of their diet. And in fact, it could be a source of like play and joy and like family bonding. And our kids eat kale salad now as like a comfort food. It's, you know. Yeah. And they also will sneak into their Halloween candy behind their backs <laughs> and gorge until their, <laughs> their stomachs are distended. So they're still children. Um, but but they are very willing to explore new foods. Yeah, I like to say expect the unexpected when it comes to feeding your kid. You never know. Every day is going to be different. Every meal is going to be different. And so you just have to, like what you said, Vicki, just serve them the food, let them come to the table, make it fun, and see what happens. Great talking to you. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and Elon and I cannot thank you enough for your support and for listening to this podcast. And we'd like to ask you a quick favor. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd love your help sharing the podcast with your community. 
The two best ways to do that are taking a screenshot of this episode and sharing on social media, tagging us at Whole Mamas Club, or leaving us a quick review on iTunes. This won't take you more than a few minutes, and we read and appreciate every single share and review. It fires us up to create more episodes and resources to support you on your journey. Thank you so much in advance. And please remember that the views and ideas presented on this podcast are for informational purposes only. All information presented on the podcast is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Consult your provider before starting any diet, supplement regimen, or to determine the appropriateness of the information shared on this podcast, or if you have any questions regarding your treatment plan. Now go on, have a great day, and nourish and nurture yourself and your family. 